Hey everybody, this is Doug Schaefer at Schaefer Vineyards with a new episode of The Taste. Thanks very much for checking this one out. I hope you're doing well. I know there are areas of the country, some areas of the world, where people are really, really having it tough. My hope is that podcasts like this will offer a break from the news, remind us of where we've come from, and the things we can look forward to down the road. Today's guest is a vintner I've known for a long time. He's been part of making great Napa Valley wine for almost 40 years. I've been looking forward to this, so let's get into it. Hey everybody, this is Doug Schaefer back with another episode of The Taste. A lot has changed since we recorded our last podcast. We are all in what we call shelter-in-place mode here in California. So today we're recording this podcast with our first call-in guest. It's, it's all about social distancing, and we take that seriously out here in the Napa Valley. So the sound quality won't be quite what you've heard before, but we thought we'd give this thing a go. Since things seem to change every day, I'd like to mention that we're recording this on Monday, March 30th, 2020. Uh, by the time we post it, who knows what else might have changed, but we're all hanging in there and keeping our fingers crossed and hope you're doing the same. So um, with that, I'd like to talk about our guest today. He's a longtime friend, fellow winemaker, vintner, known him for many, many years, one of the founders and owners of Saintsbury Winery in the Carneros region. David Graves. David, glad you're here, man. How you doing? Well, thank you for taking my call. Oh, no, it's not call-in talk radio. Um, <laughs> hey, it's great to be here. I, I, I wish, as you said, I wish we were uh, yakking face-to-face, but yeah, circumstances intervene. But um, Well, I tell you what, we'll, uh, we can, um, we'll just do it again. We'll do part two at some point when we can get together. How about that? There you go. Yeah. Hey, how about this virtual you, wine tasting thing? Well, I was going to ask you. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you how you're surviving with this whole stuff day to day. But um, to those of you who out there in the wine world, you probably know this. There's lots of uh, emails going out where where people are doing virtual winemaking, virtual wine tastings, like on your computer. How's that? Have you done that, David? What's going on? No, I I uh, we are we're pretty excited about doing it. Um, I guess uh, Karen McNeil's doing it like once a week with a designated wine, and so we're going to do it with our uh, wine club members because they're going to get a shipment pretty soon, and and we're going to say, hey, uh, you know, maybe a week after they get it at designated hour, we're going to pop a cork, and our winemaker Tim Call and I are going to be on, and we're going to have like a Zoom wine tasting. I like it. I like it. Let let me know, and you know if if I don't have Saintsbury wine, well, I'll have something else, and I'll just pretend. How's that sound? <laughs> well, you we, we've all faked I'm it before, so why not? Oh, <laughs> so bad. Anyway, um, so are you guys surviving? How are you surviving? Have you come up with anything to survive these uh, long shelter at home days? Anything? Anything? Any tips out there for us? Well, a couple of uh, somebody said, and I laughed out loud when I saw this. Three o'clock is the new five o'clock, in terms of pulling <laughs> corks. So, but we have, I, you know, we're a small team. We have the the people that are normally hosting visitors here are they're they're at home checking in with our wine club members or people who visited the winery and seeing how their wine supplies are. And it turns out we're actually doing pretty well with sending wine to shut-ins. I feel it's like such a, you know, mm-hmm. like a Florence Nightingale for people shut in. So I came up with, I mean, there's a lot of lines people are, have come up with that are funny, and I think uh, it's all sort of gallows humor of making the best of a pretty bad situation. Right, right. Was uh, about, you know, with all this hoarding going on, um, our tagline for a while was, you don't need to hoard wine, we hoarded it for you. It's just a click or a, <laughs> a phone call away. You are good. You're. I'm glad. I'm glad you called in today. It's great to hear your voice. Um, how about new hobbies? Netflix. You get watching old movies. What are you doing? Reading books. I I am reading. I read them on my iPad now. But I, you know, I really mm-hmm. like book books. So 
I just found out there was a sale on a, a book that I had wanted for a while, and it's sitting on my desk, The Oxford Companion to Cheese, which is sort of a companion wait, wait, to wait. the Oxford... Uh, Oxford Companion of Wine. That's the only one I know about. Yeah, well, this is sort of the same idea, not written by Jancis Robinson, but every bit as thorough and, you know, everything you always wanted to know, and the usual Oxford University Press high production values so that's that's getting some time you're getting some you're getting some time good so anyway let's change gears let's talk about you and the winery i want to go all the way back so where'd you grow up when where where were you born what year where'd you grow up well to the extent i have grown up uh i i was born <laughs> in post-war suburbia in uh, 1952 on the cusp of Two towns that blew up uh, in the post-war baby boom time um, between Walnut Creek and Lafayette, right on the edge of the two of them. So we used to we were within kind of striking distance for the proverbial Sunday drive. So I remember going to like Wente and on Cannon and even Cresta Blanca when it was open down there. And then the first really? time I ever heard the Every year is a vintage year in California line. I could tell you, I was. Yeah, it was on. <laughs> yeah. Behringer, probably 1960, on a, was still owned by the family. You know, the, the Raymond. Oh, wow. Uh, the descendants of. of the, the, yeah, the Raymond, the Raymond family. Yeah. Hey, but Walnut Creek, as a kid, I'm imagining. It was probably kind of like San Jose at that point in time. It wasn't all built up, and there was like lots of rural areas and farmlands. And is, is that true, or was it all paved well, over like it is now? It was, you know, the idea that there's a Tiffany's and a Neiman Marcus in the, <laughs> the Neiman Marcus building used to be a Penny's, where in the basement I used to buy my my mom would take me there to buy my new shoes for school, but. It, you know, it still had its. There was still a walnut co-op there when I was a kid. Okay. And um, you know, the other thing is, uh, we. I, I'm a really. I love baseball, for example, but I'm a terrible baseball player. But I, you know, I was in <laughs> the kind of the local version of little league, and I was always the guy out in right field. But you know, the organized sports thing didn't sort of. It hadn't taken over kids' lives and parents' lives quite the way it has now, I think. So there was a lot more kind of like, hey, Alec, you want to hop over there and go over the creek and see how the tadpoles are? And whoop, there we were. So yeah, it made your exactly. own fun it's, it's, more. And, uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Pong was an exotic video game. I remember Pong. It was great. <laughs> Drinking beer, playing Pong. Um, <clears throat> now they play beer Pong. Anyway, and I heard they can do it virtually. So I haven't seen that. My kid told me that. I've got to check that out. You're right. I've heard of that too. If I find if I if I find out, I'll we'll have to get Zoom. We'll Zoom together and we'll play a little beer pong. So talk to me, brother in Walnut Creek, brothers, sisters. I had two older brothers. One of whom was uh, a grad student at Cal, and so he and I, I. He's like he's quite a bit older than I am, but we're very close and. Uh, he actually lives in Australia because his wife is Australian, and he's lived there hmm. for a long time. He makes wine in Australia, but that's not his day job. Huh. But the point of the, the uh, story is the he introduced me to Davis Bynum, who had a like a little retail oh. store on San Pablo Avenue back in the day. No, he had a winery, so he had yeah. A, but and then he had, he had a, a retail yeah. store first. Yep. Okay. Well, he had a oh, like all a right, good. there's sort of a winery in the back and a retail you know storefront in the front. And the way this connects to me very directly is that the first Pinot Noir that really opened my eyes about California Pinot Noir was, uh, I think it was the first Pinot Noir that had the Rocchioli Vineyard name on it. It was made by Davis Bynum. This is before Rocchioli Hmm. made wine on their own. It was a 73. I had it in the fall of 75, right after it was released. And it was just like, whoa, whoa. This is amazing, and I didn't have I didn't have much uh, understanding of Burgundy at the time. But it really, I had sort of a gap year 
then I went to grad school at the University of Chicago, so I know a little bit about the place where you grew up. And then uh, it was really cold that winter, even by Chicago standards. It, I was unlucky <laughs> in love. I had no money, and my academic advisor and I were, shall we say, not best buds. So, all right, I, okay, I, all right. I, I'm going to I'm going to put you on I'm, I'm going to put you on hold for a second. All right, yep. I, I want to come back to this, but I want I'm not done with Walnut Creek because I want to know. I'm not, you had two older brothers. Two older brothers. What about your parents? What were they up to? Well, my mom was actually uh, she taught elementary school in the Lafayette School District. Okay. And she's, she was descended from a family that had come to her great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, had come to San Francisco in 1851 from New Orleans. But he was born in Alsa. Really? So there's a... You, you might have <laughs> stumbled into this bar in North Beach called The Saloon. Yeah, yeah. I know that bar. <laughs> well, that was opened originally by my great-great-grandfather in 1861 as Wagner's Holy Beer Hall. cats. Jesus. So I, I come See, by it honestly. I, I've known you for how many years? I don't know all these things about you. All right, keep well, going. This is too we've good. Never, we've never done a pub crawl in North Beach. Probably better for both of us. <laughs> so on my wall behind me is a, uh, is a menu that my, my mother's father wrote. And he and my dad, his his son-in-law, had um, birthdays close together. So okay, this was 1956, uh, and he wrote a little wine card. It says wine selection for Jim Graves and Pop Wagner's birthday dinner. They drank some Liebfraumisch. Hmm. Remember that? <laughs> uh, I do they remember had a, that. <laughs> they had a 46 Engelduck, ten-year-old Engelduck. Oh wow! And then they finished, and I don't know what Pop was thinking, but they finished with an Albaden Grenache Rosé, which probably had a little residual sugar. And um, <laughs> Probably. But they'd, I know they'd had some cocktails beforehand, because I still have my grandfather's martini pitcher. And um, <laughs> Almaden was, in his reckoning, it was in Los Gagatos. He added a syllable to Los Gatos. So... <laughs> And at the bottom it says, above served in order as listed, selection by one wine connoisseur, Pop Wagner. So that's wow. framed and above my Nin desk. 1956. Wow. Yep. That's pretty cool. And, Very and cool. those Sunday dinners at my grandparents' house were, you know, we'd drive over from Walnut Creek and have Sunday dinner with them, and it was just a really sweet, sweet thing. And that's... That was in uh, the Richmond district. My grandfather was in the, he okay. worked for a wholesale hardware company called Baker and Hamilton. And this is, sounds like I'm making this up, but it's true. You know, when you're learning the alphabet, there aren't that many words that have Z in them. You know, there's zebra, yeah. zoo. Yeah. And in my world, there was That's Zinfandel. Because there were <laughs> bottles of Zinfandel on the table. Well, I was going to about to ask you. I said, "Is where did the wine thing kick in? Did your parents drink wine at home, or was it these Sunday well, meals?" Well, it was when I was desperate, in, you know, unhappy in Hyde Park. I decided that um, academic science and I would both be better off if I didn't do that. I was studying ecology and evolution, and um, so I'm like 25, and now what? And uh, I kind of did a little inventory of what I was really, what really floated my boat. And it was uh, going to the local wine store. And even on my little graduate yeah, student stipend, buying bottles of wine. I'm with you. But, okay, but you had been at, this was post-college. So college was uh, Santa Cruz for you, right? Yep. And that's where you did the, bio, the whole biology deal. Yep. <laughs> So was wine happening in college, or was that beer? Oh yeah, I was. Uh, I remember in our uh, in our dorm, people looked at me funny because I'm like, "Hey, try this. This Campari stuff's pretty good." I mean, I know it's not wine, but <laughs> you know, it's like, right? Wow, bitter, weird color. What is wrong with you, Graves? But 
when I was in college, is when I, or right after college, is when I had that eye-opening binum rocchioli pino. Okay. So I'm I'm unhappy in Chicago in the spring of '77, and I'm like, now what? I just took a wild, like, well, hey, I could move back to California, and I investigated the wine program at Davis, and you could you could be like an extension student without actually applying to the master's program and kind of get your feet wet. That's what I did is I found a, a room in a house with some a pal from Santa Cruz, and um, that fall quarter of 1977, I took Viticulture and Enology 124, I think it is. Anyway, this is way So those ago. were, you were doing that, uh, <clears throat> that was long distance? No, no, I was there living in Davis. Davis, taking the classes in Davis, and I uh, I met a Got whole it. bunch of uh, folks, including my future business partner, Dick Ward, uh, in Michael Lewis's brewing technology class. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So, 77, uh, people who've heard this podcast, they've, they've heard too much about my, <clears throat> my career, but I was at Davis, but uh, I was an undergrad and with no idea what the heck I really wanted to do. I was doing viticulture, but... Uh, I got to ask you about one class because everybody was in that class. Vit one sixteen A and B. Were you in that one? That was with, doc, uh, with Doctor Cook. Oh yeah, no, I was there. You couldn't forget Doctor Cook. Remember him? Oh, <laughs> he was a nut. Well, somebody who's who whom I met that that fall of nineteen seventy seven, who's a, a very good friend of mine, and I just talked to him uh, on Friday. He was his TA, Fred Peterson, um, who has a winery over. Oh, I'm, I'm, I remember Fred. He was yeah. Well, he, he was Fred his TA. The, he was a TA, and boy, he could do a very good impression of Jim Cook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I remember that class. I think you were in it because you and Tony Soder and Kathy Corison and Dick Ward, your future partner. I think you guys were all in it. You're all in the front row. Was that? Was that? No, that was the year before. I think Randall Graham. Okay. I think Randall Graham was maybe in it the year I was in it. But yeah, I mean, it was sort of a. I don't mean to brag about, not about me, but I mean the people that were there, like John Williams, John Kongsgard, Dan Lee from Morgan. Frog's Leap, Kongsgard. Yeah, I mean, Kathy, Tony Soder. I mean, this is just uh, Tom Peterson, Fred Peterson. Mm-hmm. It was uh, kind of a magical time in a way. And so well, when I look, you look know, in I, the I mirror had, and I, I had, see, I had, no, you were part of a crew. Um, yeah, I was behind you a few years, but I had Kathy in here, and um, she put it in wonderful. Kathy Corson, wonderful. Um, what what she say? She said it was a it was a short ladder. In other words, mm-hmm. there yep. were so many wineries just starting out and very yep. few, quote, trained or experienced winemakers. So she and all you guys coming out, I mean, there were winemaker jobs were all over the place. You, you didn't start as a seller at, you were the winemaker. And so all you guys had, you know, trial under fire. Crazy times when you think about it. And um, the, some of the folks you mentioned, you know, all are fantastic, wonderful, long-term winemakers. But... They were the, you were the, the, the pioneering group that really did it. My first job was working for Tony at Chapelet, actually. Okay. Wow. This Tony then, uh, and that, When was that? So were you out of, you were done with Davis at that no, point? No, I just spent working, a year there. I was going to go back and yeah. I actually did later, but I, so I spent a, um, a year, got enough skills to be uh, dangerous. And then, um, I worked with Tony at Chapelet. Okay. The guy who was there who's got his own label now is a guy named Rick Longoria, who's down in Santa okay. Barbara. And uh, I worked at Phelps with uh, Craig Williams, and Walter Shug was the winemaker then. Yeah, I was wondering about that, if he was there when you were there. He was a character, yeah. And uh, Mike Fisher was the controller there. But I met Mike because he studied winemaking, too, so he's sort of a double... Double-edged sword. And um, was Randy Mason at Chapelet when you were there? Yes, he was. I'm I'm a big fan of Randy's. 
Yeah, because he was, I think he was doing a lot of vineyard stuff, but he, uh, he was the guy that taught me. He was, my first seller job was working under him at the place called Lake Spring back in 81. And uh, Randy's the guy that taught me how to work a seller, man, how to do it logistically. He was great. Now, where was Lake Springs? <clears throat> Lake Spring was that little place uh, on Hoffman Lane, just okay, south yep, of yep, Yount, Yountville. Yep, that's, I remember being in there. It was in business in for a while, and then it kind of, yeah, it it, it kind of closed up after 10 or 12 years. And I think uh, I think Joel Gott and his group owned the facility and used it for making some wine. But, but in uh, the meantime, it was so also how did, where Michael so, Havens was there for a while. Before his Oh, Havens was sold. there. I think, he, yeah, yeah, he was there. You're right. Boy, it's a lot going on. So now you met Dick Ward at Davis. And so was, was Dick running around? Were you guys like tracking parallel paths at different wineries how was how did it work out when you two got together and started a winery i mean that's crazy well it's amazing what you don't know you can't do or you shouldn't be able to do when you're young and and you know blinded by ambition and uh perhaps an (laughs) overestimation of your own talents so i was working at chapelet and dick was working for warren winyarski at stag's leap wine cellars in 1978 and uh, okay. so we were housemates. And then in 79, I worked at Phelps for the harvest, and he was he did a harvest down in Santa Barbara County. And then in 1980, I worked at uh, Chandon as a cellar rat for their harvest, thanks to Donine Dyer. In the sort of the weird way of word was getting around, mm-hmm. I ended up helping Pine Ridge bottle its first vintage. So... That's when we that was met. that was Gary Andrus, right? Gary and Nancy, right? And so, and then, so, 1981, it's like, hey, let's let's put out put our our own label. So that's where Dick and I made our first <laughs> vintage of what turned into Saintsbury. Oh, you made it at Pine Ridge. It was made at Pine Ridge. Yeah. What'd you do for grapes? Well, we we uh, I had met uh, Zach Berkowitz. Um, at Chandon, and so we bought some of Zach's grapes, which are right here in Carneros, right near the winery, Rancho Carneros Vineyard. Mm-hmm. And um, thanks to Donine, I had met the San Giacomo family, so our first Chardonnay was from their Green Acres Vineyard, which is still there. We make a wine that's from the original 1969 Chardonnay block at Green Acres, wow. which was... The first, the, the San Giacomo's were pear growers, and this was their first foray into, into wine grapes, was at Green Acres. I didn't know they, I didn't they, they know they grew pears. That's yep. amazing. They had a, if you can believe, this is sort of the total opposite end of, of wine. They grew mm-hmm. pears for canning. Talk about a commodity. <laughs> to those of you who don't know, the San Giacomo's are some of the best grape growers in this area in Sonoma and how many how many they must have hundreds and hundreds of acres of grapes don't they David you know I have I think it's it's probably close to a thousand spread over various parts I mean they got they got a property up in uh, Petaluma Gap they got property wow. in Lakeville near the Petaluma River a lot of a lot of grapes around um, the town of Sonoma and mm-hmm. uh, they were actually leaders in creating the Carneros AVA, which was uh, Treasury... Which was one of the first ones. That was one of the first AVAs. In 1983. So you guys custom crushed your first vintage. What was your first vintage? 81? 81. And then um, did you you build a winery right away, or did that take a few years? No, no, we had a... a, You know that beautiful little uh, stone cube up on Ellers Lane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was uh, that. There was a winery called Vishon that had moved out of that, and we moved in. And it had a. It was kind of. It was an amazing situation because it, for whatever reason, it had its own. You kind of leased it with its own uh, refrigeration system. So nice. all we had to Good. do was sort of have a couple tanks and lease a forklift and get some barrels and. We had a destemmer, and we um, bought a used press, and we were in business huh. as our own self. <laughs> Holy cats! Wire. I didn't know you were up there. So you you were up on Ehlers Lane, which is north of St. Helena. 
right? Yep. <clears throat> and how long how long were you guys there? Well, we would Quite have been while? there longer, but um, the landlord decided that he'd seen a couple. This we were like the third tenants in that building, so he decided this looked like fun, and so he'd get in the wine business. So we only had a one year lease. <laughs> 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 so uh, the smart thing to do would have been to to find another custom crush facility, but right, that's not what we did. So we ended up. We built the winery during harvest. <laughs> let that come on, guys. Come on, yeah. both of you. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of you and Dick. Both of you. Yep. I mean, come on, guys. What are you thinking? What are you thinking here? So, um, <laughs> and oh, we man. were like what a mess, living from hand to mouth in terms of financing the construction, and uh, yeah, it was. And we hired our first French intern, whose family was from Burgundy, and. Um, his okay, Frederick Erzog, and our first employee was Bill Nuttall, who's gone on to fame and fortune. Oh, uh, he has, yeah, he has a great a winery great facility winemaker. over on Eighth Street East in Sonoma, and he's he was the mm-hmm. winemaker for uh, Chalk Hill, and um, yeah, he said yeah he worked yeah he worked a lot with of work Dave Ramey Creek. for years. I know that. So wow. um Imagine also we decided that I think I remember saying, well, once you hit a hundred percent of insanity, it can, you know, there's no 11 on the insanity. <laughs> so we actually helped make wine for uh Hagafen that year and the next year. So, um, you were custom crushing other people's grapes, and you were still right. trying to build the winery. Even though we really didn't have grapes. a, we didn't have a bonded winery license, really. <laughs> no, no, you didn't have a license. <laughs> so imagine. Oh gosh, I can't believe it. Imagine this. We, we have a meeting down at the BATF's office on Market Street in San Francisco, and the guy that you know we've sort of gone up the food chain there because. <laughs> They're like, I can't believe you guys made a bunch of, in effect, moonshine, because it wasn't. Yeah. you didn't have a bond. You know, you're, I mean, you had a, you applied for one, but you didn't have one. And so I remember distinctly the BATF guy saying, "Well, we don't want to be like jackbooted Nazis and make you throw out this stuff out, but it's really moonshine." And I'm like, "Oh my god." <laughs> oh, I can't believe it. So we sort of what they do? Know, what they do to you? What happened? Well, we got a bond, and you know, all the stuff was sort of they waved a magic wand, and it was produced and bottled by Saintsbury, and uh, uh, <laughs> that was my first exposure to uh, Stewart's Law of Retroaction, which is uh, the formal name for forgiveness is easier to get than permission. So we got uh-huh. forgiveness. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to that when we talk about your days on the Planning Commission, but I love that. So you got permission. That was vintage. That was 83 Harvest. So yep. you had a building. You crushed grapes. You made wine. You're legal. You're still yep. selling wine. And things are things are going okay. Yeah? Yep. We found a uh, wholesale broker to sort of set up our three-tier network around the country. We didn't have any of our own vineyards, but we had the, the parcel where we are has uh, about 12 and a half acres worth of space for vineyards. And so... We took a long time to figure out what to do, which was pretty great in a way because we got a lot of help from our friend Dave Adelsheim up in Oregon, who's okay, a, extremely thoughtful. He's just wise. I mean, I don't have a better word for it. Mm-hmm. But he's yeah. also very generous and a lot of fun to be around. And so the budwood of our of our. Uh, Omar Pinot Noir block came from his vineyard. I went up and literally huh. cut the canes in the wintertime, and we came down and, and uh, brought them back, and they were the basis of this first uh, vineyard that we had, that we still have, which is also one of the first vertically trellised vineyards, if not the first vertically trellised vineyard in the Napa Valley. And the reason that's important is there was... Uh, because, as, and you probably talked about this, the whole AXR thing and the made it so that the vineyard 
it was kind of a big change in how people thought about vineyards in the late 80s and early 90s because we had to. Right, and, had to replant. <clears throat> right. And the reason this vineyard is still here is we were being contrarians. Dick and I did not plant it on AXR1 rootstock because that was too easy. Uh-huh. So it's it's on 5C <laughs> and 110R. So I call it the don't you laugh guys, paid for vineyard. Yeah. There you go. Oh, you guys, you too. Speaking of being contrarians, I got to ask you, because, you know, 83, I was just getting into it. I was just starting here at Schaefer. You know, I didn't know anything. But but I can't, you know, I know Pinot is, Shard's always been pretty popular. It's great. It's great grape. It's a beautiful wine. It's kind of a no, not a no-brainer, but I mean, it's a, it's, it is what it is. But, you know, Pinot Noir these days is very popular and God bless all you folks making Pinot Noir. But, you know, David, for a long time, Pinot Noir was not the, you know, not the, as popular as as it is now. And you guys went into this thing, contrarians that you are, you know, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and with Pinot Noir really leading the way. I was like, it's kind of like, what were you guys thinking? Because Pinot was a tough sell, unless I'm wrong. But help me on that one. What, where, what was going on with you two knuckleheads? Well, knucklehead, actually, that's a great name. Maybe that's a brand name we haven't explained. It is. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't have a trademark, so go for it, man. So um, the first wine Dick and I made together was a really delicious wine from Dag's Leap. Nathan, Nathan huh. Fay Cabernet. Did you guys used to go down and pick grapes for Nathan when you were at Davis? And he'd, 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 he'd Thanks to Johnny Concard, a, a bunch of us, like yeah. <laughs> Jack Stewart. Oh, I forgot to mention Jack Stewart. That's Sorry, Jack. Jack Stewart and Silverado. So yeah. Jack, Mike Fisher, I think Tom Peterson, Johnny Concard, maybe Doug Knoll. Sorry, Doug didn't mention you either. John Williams, maybe John Williams, maybe. maybe. I, maybe no, I think John, John was no, up in... In 78, I think he was maybe in uh, New York briefly. Yeah, he was up. You're right. He was in New York. I think you're right. So, yeah. so Johnny um, sort of arranged for each of us to get a half a ton of Nate's. I don't even know which vineyard it was of his, but it was um, intoxicating, figuratively and sometimes literally. To make wine, mm-hmm. I was like, "Whoa!" So, Dick yeah. and I made a barrel's worth, a half a ton plus enough for topping, right. of a Nate Fay Cabernet, and God, it was good. I mean, I'm I'm still sort of in awe of it. <laughs> that it's kind of like better lucky than smart, because obviously, right? Forty. This will be my fortieth vintage. No, my forty-second vintage. Excuse me, coming up. So. I've learned a few things since the first one, but you know that there's that saying that viticulturists always, you know, the vineyard guys always say the, to the wine guys, we do all the work, don't screw it up. And for whatever reason, right. yeah. we, didn't, we didn't screw it up. And um, so that was our first wine. And it was, we, you know, we okay. had a really nice label design by the guy who's still our label designer. And, um, that's a whole other story. So then we made another wine. We made a Cabernet, but 80, 79 was a much less good vintage in the sense it had one of those scorcher heat spells about two weeks before the grapes are ripe. And the vines just kind right. of said, I remember it. So um, that year we made a dry Riesling from Sanford and Benedict because Dick was down in in Santa Barbara County. I mean, we That's were right. he was, he was working, We were doing yeah. all kinds of weird stuff, but not not commercially. <laughs> right. Okay. So, when it came time to start Saintsbury, we kind of looked at each other like, well, what's really, you know, what's a how could we really make a difference in a in a category that's not very well populated? And Pinot Noir was okay. The choice we made. And as you pointed out, Doug, looking at the the shelves in the liquor store now. Really, there weren't many Pinot Noirs then, and you know, I probably knew pretty much everybody at least by name. Oh yeah, like they were not necessarily as colleagues. I knew them. I pretty much knew everybody who made Pinot Noir, 
and it was sure. still from Santa Barbara to Willamette Valley, but mm-hmm. there were like three in each of those places, not thirty. You know, so you had. So you were you were swimming upstream, but you guys did it because I think maybe you were onto something too because there weren't that many out there, and if you were making a decent wine, which you guys did, I mean, hey. This is a solid wine. This is a good Pinot, Saintsbury, go-to. It was, you know, it's been my go-to for years. So there you go. Well, and it's, uh, I think, unless, unless I'm missing something. Well, we've, we've, uh, we had a brief foray into making some really delicious but really hard to sell Syrah. Uh, but otherwise, that's pretty much what we've done <laughs> is Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And, um, but in the way that these these two cocky young guys, um, they build a winery during harvest. Who does that? That's crazy. Um, well, a, a, couple, a, a couple of knuckleheads, I'm going to yeah. repeat it. <laughs> knucklehead seller. Oh, but... So, and so, Carneros, did, did you guys go after... Yeah, how did you get the name? Yeah, that's another so question. Sort of, Where'd that one come from? So you got two... You, you've identified Carneros... And Saintsbury right. are like parts of our identity that are just they're joined at the hip. Well, Carneros was because Dick was still living in Davis, and Carneros was about as far as made sense to drive. Oh, so, okay, good point. <laughs> but we actually did make some so, wine from so. Western Sonoma County that Warren Dutton had grown in '82, okay. but we sort of shrank our radius back to. Carneros and, and, and neighborhood back in 83. And we stayed with that until so, uh, the mid-2000s when we we started to make wine from Anderson Valley. And so now we think of ourselves as based in Carneros, not necessarily of Carneros, not from Carneros, quite the same. But, uh, but I, I love the fact that the reason you landed in Carneros wasn't anything to do with it's a cool climate for Pinot and Chard. It was mostly because Dick didn't want to drive any farther. Well, it actually, <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm, your I'm point's well taken, that. though, because, I mean, it is a really good place <laughs> for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, as you, could, as you know right. about the Chardonnay world. But mm-hmm. um, yep. it's one of those things where we did everything kind of backwards. Because instead of starting with high concept, here's the label concept, here's the brand identity, right. you know, the way stuff, the way people tell you to do stuff, we totally didn't do it that way. Such that we're going to move into that facility in, we, you know, we made our first vintage there at, at Pine Ridge. We're going to move into the facility at Ellers Lane. The guys at, at that winery, Vishan, they had a bottling line and they said, well, we'll bottle it for you. <laughs> but you have to tell it, you know, and so we made the labels, you know, back in the, you remember back with wet glue, you know, you had the, oh, the yeah. label, you had to oh. have the label thing that was the right oh. size. So our label oh, was, was the mess. same yeah, size as their label. Right. It had to be. Right. Because that's be. the label. And then, yeah. um, kicking town to getting label approval and getting a name. <laughs> And we're like, oh yeah, the, the what? yeah the name. Uh, Tell what me about the name. What are we going to call this thing? Damn, Dick and Dave. <laughs> oh, that's not so good. Dick and Dave's Graves and Ward. That sounds like a couple of accountants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good point. We went through a whole All bunch right, of so. and um, so finally it was uh, an acquaintance of Dick's who said. Becoming aware of the, our problem, he said, well, why don't you name it after George Sainsbury? And George <laughs> Sainsbury is an English literary critic and scholar who is remembered nowadays for his book uh, called Notes on a Cellar Book, which he wrote when he retired from being literary critic and a professor. But, yes, you know, my joke about this is after extensive focus group work, <laughs> Not. <laughs> we oh. we kind of looked at each other and said, "Well, you got a better idea? Mm, not really. Okay, let's pull the trigger on that." So, um, <laughs> we ended up. What's a great uh, name? <clears throat> no, it's a it's a great name, and we're very proud of honoring George 
And uh, again, in the in the <laughs> our label designer, <laughs> the guy who's done all of our graphic design work, is somebody I met in 1972 when I was 20 years old because we were drinking tequila sunrises because he was going out with the woman that lived in the house I lived in. So, so Jim Walcott airs <laughs> and I go back, ooh, 48 years. Yeah, I've, I cross, I've, I've crossed paths with Jim before. He's a great guy. Yeah, oh, no, he's a wonderful a guy. Time. And he and I share a passion for yeah. <clears throat> wine, food, and baseball. So there you go. What's not to like about that, right? And he's, he's a lot of fun to be with. Yeah, you got me thinking. My graphics guy, Michael Cavish, based in, up in Oregon, I met him sophomore year at UC Davis, which was 19, holy cats, 1976-77. And he's been our guy forever. And he's great. Enough. Wow. Well, it's I think it's, from the past. it's a, like a lot of things where if you can communicate if you sort of understand each other at some kind of nonverbal level where, because sometimes wine people aren't very good at expressing what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd like it to have this feeling that da da da. And Jim's been <laughs> very good at, at uh, capturing those feelings and turning them into, uh, you know, real labels, real graphic real, language. Yeah. Uh, but we make a dry rosé not a very important part of what we do, but we started making it during the really terrible vintage of 1989 by doing what's called sanye, mm-hmm. where you draw out juice from a yes. fermenter. So the purpose yes. was to make better red wine, not to make rosé, but you're sort of left with this juice. What are you going to do with it? So we, right. we fermented it, and the Burgundians call dry rosé Van Gris. So... We go to Jim and we say, well, we got a new label, a new product. Uh, <laughs> we need a label for it. So he mocks up one that looks like our other labels, just has the correct information in it. But then he says, now, work with me on this. I've got this idea. How about we call it Vincent Van Gree? And Dick and I looked at him like, what? And he said, no, 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 work with me here. I got, a, I got an illustrator named Bill Shields. And I think he can do a rendering, uh, pastel rendering of the winery that'll look like that other Vincent guy. And I think it'll be kind of fun. And so we yeah. ran with that. And so now we have Vincent Van Gree, and I've literally had people say, looking at this label, they say, oh, I saw that in Amsterdam at the museum. I'm like, ooh, where were you before that? I don't know, ooh. you know. What else you do yeah. in Amsterdam? <laughs> so Jim invented this whole backstory for Vincent Van Gree's biography, and a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. <clears throat> so, switching gears, um, your bride Elizabeth. When did when did you guys meet and get together? What's this? What's that story? Well, we didn't used to have any hospitality program at all. I mean, because we didn't have any okay. staff, we didn't really know what to do. So. We weren't open on weekends for people to come visit. So I got a call from a a mutual friend who just passed away last October, a stellar wine merchant and a great poet and somebody I also shared baseball with. Um, Hmm. So uh, his name is Bill Mayer, and he worked at a really great wine store in San Francisco called Pacific Wine Company. You probably remember them. You probably right. sold wine to them. Mm-hmm. They're the world's greatest yeah, we have. wacky covers, wacky wine story catalog covers. So right. Right. He, Bill called me and he said, hey, I've got somebody I know wants to come up for a wine tour. Um, would you be available to entertain six people on Saturday, blah, blah, blah? I said, oh, sure, because I, you know, I was single and didn't have a lot going on in terms of tying me down to a schedule. So uh, mm-hmm. the woman who is now my bride, Elizabeth McKinney, came up here with her then boyfriend, which I always remind her of. Um, <laughs> and um, so showed him around the place in 1986, which she then somehow 
word reached her that we were having our fifth birthday party, which was really kind of an invitation event, but she didn't know that. And so she came with another guy. Uh, (laughs) This this has been like four months later. And um, so she was very impressed that I remembered her name, but then she realized that I'm pretty good at remembering people's names. So she's like, oh, that wasn't that special, geez. But anyway, (laughs) um, so Bill introduced us, and then she introduced Bill to her sister, and so they they were married. So kind of a nice reciprocal thing. That's nice. So, um, Yeah. yeah, we got married right here at the winery in 1990, and we live in Old Town Napa, the Victorian neighborhood of Napa. She's a... An artist mm-hmm. has a BFA and an MFA, and has a studio in uh, town of Benicia, which is about. Yeah, I was going to ask you because I I, did, I wasn't sure if she was in Napa or somewhere else. So she's based in Benicia for her her gallery. Got it. It's in the Benicia Arsenal Building, which is a lot of it has been repurposed as as artist studios. So it's about cool. Well. It's about half an hour on a good day like today because nobody's driving. But um, I mean, yeah, I can seriously get around the valley really fast right now. There's just nobody on the road. Um, a lot of folks don't know what you've been doing besides making wine. But um, through the years, David, you've been on the Land Trust Board. The Land Trust, those who don't know, is a wonderful local organization that puts uh, lands, wild lands, into conservation easements. You were the president been on the board of the Oxbow School, uh, the water, also the Watershed Conservation Council. But the one that really stood out was back, I think it was in the early, late, late 90s, you joined the Napa County Planning Commission as a local dude on the Planning Commission, which was crazy because I, I think I remember going up in front of you for some use permit change. But it's you and I have never talked too much about it. I think it was a wonderful experience for you, but it had to be kind of crazy, crazy challenging, crazy wild. What was what was going on with that whole thing? I had, because um, of my interest in ecology and evolution, the science part of it, uh, I'm very interested in, in kind of things like how the habitat preservation for critters and making it so that our footprint is as light as it can be on the land. And mm-hmm. I was, uh, I got to know the guy who was then a city council member, but is now the, the supervisor for where I live in, in the county. And so Brad Wagonknecht asked me if I would entertain the idea of being on the planning commission because each supervisor nominates one person to be on the five, there's five supervisors, and so there's five members of the planning commission, and the planning commission is, uh, does a lot of the sort of the, the work of land use administration in, well, almost every city and county, in every city and county in California, but Napa's is particularly important because of our history with the, the ag preserve, the so-called agricultural preserve, right. the the idea that we would not subdivide and spread all over the valley, which was, you know, kind of in danger of happening back in the uh, during mm-hmm. the boom years of the '60s, and um, '60s, right? So I got on the planning commission late '90s, and I was on it for six and a half years, and you know, there's some some high notes and some low notes of hearings. Um, it, it, you know, a lot of a lot of controversial stuff ends up in front of the planning commission, and right. It, and some of your neighbors and your fellow vintners. Some of your some of the folks are neighbor, your neighbors and your fellow vintners, and yeah, uh, and you know, I never gave anybody a break because they were a colleague. At least I don't think I did. Hmm. Uh, and sometimes I think people were kind of disappointed that I didn't do that, but. The other part is because I, you know, running a winery, I know stuff like wastewater and, you know, truck trips and, you know, just the, the kind of the nuts and bolts that was, I could ask questions that really nobody else could ask. Um, 
not because I'm smarter mm-hmm. than anybody, just because it's my day job. So, exactly. Being on the planning commission, you know, back when you were there, even today, it's tough because you're getting it. You got to make those hard calls, and but you've got to think about you know the greater good. Not that I want to get on a soapbox or anything right now, but that's that's what you know. That's what keeps me going every day. Um, well, I think you're, the majority of the you folks know, out there are good folks, and I think that you know you've got a good neighborhood in Bagsley. It seems to me, in terms of your colleagues yeah, being yeah. you know generally embodying that spirit that you're talking about, because. Um, I remember something that was something that Hugh Johnson wrote in a book that I read when I was really getting excited about wine when I was in Chicago, and it's it's a very simple title. It's called Wine, and <laughs> I think I think in the introduction or the first chapter, you know, he's talking about the history of wine, and but he says all wine starts as sap up a stick, and. Hmm. Which is to That's say, great. you know, it's it's agriculture, it's farming, it's it's an annual cycle that every year is different. But there's been five thousand of them or six thousand of them before of vintages of where humans have made wine, and it's sort of the equivalent of putting your pants on one leg at a time. I think that statement, right? And you know, I think we're. I realize that. When I say things like "I remember when," it's one step away from "get off my lawn." But you know, <laughs> the technology has come so far. I mean, we understand so much more about things like you know soils and you know root systems and irrigation and pest control and you know nutrition for the vines. And but it's always focused, I think, on wine quality, but nowadays I think it's also focused on, you know, conserving resources like water, making sure that our, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the people who come after us will not be thinking, what, God, what were they thinking, these people back in 2020? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and that's what, you know, when I think about things like, uh, human impacts on climate and prospects of, of growing wine grapes in a, in a different environment than the one I grew up in, that's a really serious challenge that I think we need to take seriously, but I don't think mm-hmm. we can be defeated by it or crushed by the prospect that we have a, a, a changing environment. I mean, we have to take responsibility for our part of being very careful about a light footprint in terms of you know, carbon mm-hmm. dioxide emissions, greenhouse gases. But there's going to be a fine wine industry in Napa. It just might not be the same one that I grew up with in 1978. You know, lately, the last couple of weeks have been challenging for everybody. But uh, it's been nice here locally that, and it's probably happening across the country, it's springtime. Trees are starting to bud out. Flowers are starting to bloom a little bit. Uh, Grapevines are starting to bud. We've had a couple of frost nights last week where the wind machines were on, and all of a sudden at 3 a.m. you hear that hum of that distant wind machine. It's like, oh, it's a frost night. Someone's out controlling, you know, the fans so we the the new buds don't freeze. And that's, uh, it's comforting. It really is. Um, Because there are some crazy times right now. It's just nice to have to see the, to see the new growth on the vines and hear those wind machines at night, so it's like, you know, life, one of the life great will things, continue. It's going to be a new thing. Have you been able to dig into some wines that you've, you know, spend some time with them that you might not otherwise have done in the last weeks? Yeah, I have actually. It's funny you mention that. Yeah, because it's time in your hand. It's like you know, what am I saving this wine for? You know, it's a fifteen-year-old hillside. Let's try this. Ooh, that's good. You know, stuff like that. Um, I, f- I found a couple. Of, I found a couple of old Burgundies, which you know I didn't know I had. It's like, what am I waiting? What am I waiting around for this? So, how about you? What, what have you found that's yummy? Well, I uh, one of my one of my young team. We have some wines from our cellar. I think today is open your cellar day today and tomorrow for the Napa Vintners where you offer wines that are. Oh, that's right. Yeah. For library wines. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I got a a email from 
one of my staff saying, well, tell me what you think of the 2007 Stanley Ranch and the 2009 Brown Ranch. And I hadn't had the Brown Ranch recently, but I had the uh, the Stanley Ranch earlier this month. And um, I had it at lunch with um, in San Francisco. It's kind of like, it's, it seems like so long ago. It's like <laughs> four weeks ago tomorrow, I think. But... Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was uh it was one of those things where I was not trying to sell this wine to the person I was drinking it with. I just wanted her to Right. This is kind of like what we do is a point of departure to talk about what we do at Saintsbury, you know, all the kind of things we've been talking right. about. And I had to, you know, pull the cork and I was pretty confident it was going to be good. But it, I really <laughs> I just had to stop for a minute. And I thought, damn, this is this is kind of why winemakers make wine is for moments like this when you think it embodies a, a well-aged version of what we're trying to do. Because a lot of times we're selling wine that you're saying, well, boy, in five years, this is going to be really good. I don't think, right. you know, never brewers do don't have yeah. that problem. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> that challenge. It's a challenge. Um, um, you know, that's like when so you were fun. pulling the cork on it's that good. hillside select. It was like, damn. Oh, no, it's it's fun. It, it, I don't do it very often, but when I do, it's like, wow, this is really good. It's a 20-year-old hillside. It's really pretty. It's like, yeah, you take a moment and go, yeah, this is why we do what we do. And, and a lot of it, I, I think, think Doug, is very often. There's, there's mystery in it, too, because you and I don't, you know, get back to the pants on one leg at a time thing. We're not driving the yeah. bus. We're trying not to screw no. up. Right. I mean, do you feel like you got it all together? You feel like you you got it nailed down? You got all the answers? No. Right now? Never. No. Never no. felt that. Never have. And Never felt but I that. think I, I, I am I smarter. I, ever, I don't think I ever will. Well, when we have yeah, interns, yeah, I think you're smarter. I think. But it's kind of like how far. You're smarter, but how much more could you learn? It's like, wow, you only have what forty-five I know, vintages yeah. as a as a winemaker, which is kind of. I think that's why tradition informs winemaking historically, is because you know you you only have you yeah. have a finite number of chances. But right, uh, see, you should have been a chef because you get three hundred sixty-five shots in a year. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Every night, baby. Every night. <laughs> you know, you burn the sauce. It's like, well, okay, let's start over. Okay. I mean, I'm, start I'm over. not making. I'm not making light of the challenges of, of. Uh, no, I know. Either, either am I. Either am I. Um, but it is. Uh, it, it is a. I mean, it's a source of wonder to me, Bill. Yeah. And I think if if you kind of lose, if a winemaker loses that. Excitement! It's probably time to time to hang on. Yeah. yeah, making beer. I don't want to, you know that's but that's important too. Hey, um, want to bring something up? It might be a tough one for you, but when you mentioned older wines, you guys had a tough gig in October. Was it October two thousand five? Yeah, there was a, the wine the the arson fire it was a wine warehouse, and it was you guys lost a lot of wine, right? Is that were you guys involved in that? Yeah, um, it happened. I was driving. Mm. It was the warehouse was in on Mare Island, and it happened. I was driving down eighty to go to see my my uncle, who was a great guy, and somebody I was very close to is my mother's next older brother, born in nineteen ten. So mm. it's right. Uh, we're driving down. I'm driving down to see him, and there's this plume of smoke. Blowing across eighty. Oh and man! I'm like, I saw it. Wow, oh. that's a big fire. I wonder, wonder whose stuff is getting <laughs> destroyed. Oh no! Oh no! 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 So, um, so we lost a lot of our library because uh, that's what was down in that library, warehouse, yeah. not our regular production wine. But this is a. I think it speaks a lot about my late business partner's character that. His reaction to it was, in the biggest sense, he's, I mean, it was a big pain in the ass, of course. Luckily, it was insured, sure. but 
Uh, yeah. He said, in the biggest picture sense, one of the wisest comments I've ever heard anybody make about a loss like that. It's just, well, I guess we'll just have to make some more history. Uh, you know, you can't, oh. you know, you're not going to go yeah. back and re, you can't rewind the spool no. of time and somehow recreate a wine that's 15 or 20 years old. But, you know, we've made like that 2007 Stanley Ranch I was talking about. That was made two years right. after the fire. And lo and behold, now it's history. You know, you yeah. wait long enough, there it is. Yeah, there it is. And you had it. You had that, and you had that moment. Yep. Which, which are really priceless. They're the best. They're the best moments. Oh, uh, and your former partner, Dick Ward, one of the wisest guys I've ever known. And we lost him in 2017, and it was a... It was a wreck. It was a mess. It was just ah, tough to describe. And uh, you're carrying on. And well, um, I, you know, I, I'm sure it's I, changed uh, a lot. I'd... On Wednesday, I, I've been a, a blood bank donor for a long time, uh, long mm-hmm. before uh, Dick's illness. And it happens that he had a, a, a bone marrow disease, and he went through a right. lot of platelets. And what I do at the blood bank is I'm a platelet donor, which is to say they they take your blood and platelets are one of the components of your blood. You get red blood cells, white blood cells and platelets and plasma. Right. And so yeah. they take your blood and put it through a centrifuge, which sounds weird, but that's what they do. And they they give you mm-hmm. back your red cells and they take platelets, which are what cause your blood to clot. So right. that's that's a really important function. And then they also take plasma because a lot of that's also useful for people with various blood diseases or other conditions. So it's a, mm-hmm. two hours. Um, and wow. every time I do it, there's a little voice in my head that says, this one's for you, buddy. Um, mm. you know, we're coming up on mm. the three years that he's been gone. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a small thing I can do periodically just to sort of touch base with, with those memories. Yeah. And just telling stories, you know. Um, that's how in our, in our years and years of making, I mean, we made 20, you know, 39 vintages of wine together. Well, starting yeah. in 78 and going to, to uh, I mean, 2016. You know, You've got. We could probably talk. You could probably. You could talk for twenty four hours. You know, the the year that the press blew up, the year that the, you know, the bearing got thrown on the forklift, and we had to pitchfork it. I mean, they go on and on and on and on. I mean, right? Yeah. Like you, got and, them. And you got a million of them. You got a million. Can of them. you believe we hired so and so? I mean, I I feel like we've been very <laughs> we've been very lucky in terms of the people that we worked with here, but you know. You, you do Every it for long enough. There's some people yeah. that are like, "Oof, boy, that wasn't a good idea." Um, <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, oh, you know, Dick, we've David. we've got we've got you know uh, alumni, you know, people that have worked here that have gone on to do really great things. Mm-hmm. Like Bill Byron Kasugi worked with Bill, and then after Bill right. moved on, he was our winemaker. Uh, we've had interns like Remy Cohen, who's a uh, doing great things. Oh, Remy's great. She's, she's, yeah, she's my neighbor up here. She's super. Yep. So, ah, um, so Saintsbury, so Saintsbury today, forty years later, <clears throat> lots of changes, but still, still Chardonnay and Pinot and a little rosé, right? Yep. And uh, we our geographic reach is a little bigger. Uh, as I said, we're we got okay. Petaluma Gap, we've got Anderson Valley, we got Sonoma Coast, we got. Russian River. Uh, we even made a wine from the Santa Cruz Mountains. It's, I have to say, pretty damn good. Oh, neat. Um, so it's a great way to, you know, if you have this, I think we have some insight into what Pinot Noir does. I wouldn't say we're masters at this, just because <laughs> I don't think you're ever a master at it. But um, right, we can take that expertise and apply it to different different terroirs, different places. And so mm-hmm. what I like to say is it's, if I pour, 
two glasses of wine, they could be from 500 yards apart or they could be from, you know, 100 miles apart. I'll say, right. well, we're going to have a 500-word compare and contrast essay, and I'm going to pass out the blue books here, and you'll have 50 minutes to tell me, you know, compare the wines, contrast, tell me why they're different, and what I always tell people is, what you know, a lot of times I'm sure people ask you this, Doug. What's your favorite wine, or why? Right, you know, right. And I'm like, well, I can tell you what my wine that I like right now is, but I don't know that. Uh, I mean, it might be informative for me to tell you sort of what a particular site does over time in my experience. But ultimately, mm-hmm. what you, the wine drinker, thinks is the most important because you're the one experiencing the wine for yourself. I can't experience it for you. That's the great thing about wine. Mm-hmm. One of the many great things about wine. What's well, what's well, it's subjective. It's all about it's 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 one's it's one's personal experience with something and and it's not the same for anyone else but you. And I learn stuff when I talk so, to guests. They I learn stuff. Right. Yeah, because they they come at they come from it from a totally different place. Uh, wonderful places actually, because they're not so wrapped up in it like you and I are every day. Yeah, but um, sometimes we're a little too close <clears throat> to it. I think definitely, it's good to get away. Um, so, especially with people being at home, David, how can they find your wine so they can try it and take a walk in your shoes? What's the best? Well, way? the uh, as I said at the outset. Our wines are just a click or a phone call away. Um, but <laughs> obviously, you're not going to find them in restaurants. I mean, you might find them in restaurants once restaurants reopen. But um, yes, uh, that's not going to be an option right now. We are in some of the, um, you know, we're in, in wine specialty stores like K&L in San Francisco and down the peninsula. We're in some of the grocery store chains. and But... Mm-hmm. Can't come get it here, but as but, I said, we are a click or a phone call web, away. But web's website is saintsbury dot com, something like that. Yeah, it's really complicated. Okay, good. <laughs> Saints B U R Y. Listen, my friend. B, that's right, the B U R Y. Saints B U R Y. Bury, bury. Um, David, David Graves, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been super. I've learned, as always, I learned so much new stuff about people. You know, I've known you for 35 years, and I found out a ton of new stuff today. So thanks for taking the time, man. Well, it's a great pleasure for me to, to have a yarn with you. And, and um, you know, there's a, I, I say we, I don't have old friends. I have friends of long duration. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Thank so, you. And you haven't changed a bit. All right. No. Okay, man. I'm, I'm trying, buddy. You take care. I'll see you around. Okay. Thanks, take care. Lot, Thanks, David. I hope you enjoyed that one. I've known David a long time, but there's a lot that came up today that was new for me. David and the team at Saintsbury have been making outstanding wines and Carneros for a long time. They know their stuff, and they're always looking for new ways of improving. Do yourself a favor and check out their wines. Before we close out today, just one last note. I'd like to encourage you to support your local food banks. More of your neighbors than ever before are needing those food banks to get by. Your financial support can make a difference. That's it for now. Thanks very much for checking out this latest podcast. Please stay well and stay strong. We'll see you next time.